Hey, welcome back to Voices of Construction, powered by TouchPlan. This is No Baker, your host. No spring has sprung here in Boston, Massachusetts. We're getting some sunny days, getting that energy back. Um, but really, uh, we're here to talk about Jamie McDonald. Uh, I had a lovely time speaking with Jamie. She is a 20-year veteran in construction, started at a family-owned specialty contractor, and now actually is a construction project manager of large capital projects at our very own Boston College. Um, Really excited for you guys to hear where she came from, some of the struggles she went through um, coming up in the construction industry, as well as you know, uh, a mother of three and a Boston College graduate. Uh, she talks about some amazing projects they've done there, the reason behind her her passion and her inspiration to do this every day and the feeling of working in such an amazing campus. But really, really happy to bring you kind of the, the client or owner side of things and, and how she works together with her trade contractors. But moreover, just an amazing woman with an amazing story um, to get out there and and give the industry a voice. So without any more delay, here is Jamie McDonald. Thanks, guys. Well, hey, Jamie, thanks for uh, jumping on straight back from vacation. That's always a lovely time to take an hour out of your day when things are chaotic (laughs) right after you come back from vacation. But how are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm very happy. Uh, thank you for the invite. I'm very excited. Feeling a little refreshed, I guess. I know that doesn't last long, right, in our crazy <laughs> environment, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how uh, getting back to work can very quickly uh, drain the refreshed tank that you filled up over vacation in about two or three days, but Absolutely. It's very, very necessary. Um, but yeah, th- thanks for jumping on. Um, typically, you know, I-, I would love to start off. I know you and I got the chance to speak. And truthfully, um, we we kind of had the chance to speak about your journey and, and how you ended up um, doing what you're doing now. And I would love to just kind of start from the beginning. Um, you know, I- I've heard it before, but I think our listeners really... Um, care and are interested in how people got to the goals that they've set out for themselves and and yours was very impressive so I would love to kind of just hear hear that story and and let you say how you ended up doing stuff at uh, BC. Sure, absolutely. Um, I always kind of preface my journey with saying I kind of arrived here sort of by way of an accident. Um, wasn't what I set out in my younger career years um, but ended up you know like I, I think I had mentioned before, everybody kind of has a tough time, I think, in their early 20s, finding their niche. I was, you know, every bit of that um, scenario. I was, you know, working around 9-11, working for Verizon just as a contractor, um, still trying to find my way through life. I had, you know, worked uh, probably 15 different sort of industries, just trying to find my thing college um, right out of high school was was not in the cards uh, for me for a few different reasons, mostly financial um, and also for the fact I was never a scholar. Um, school always came very, you know, very difficult to me. And I just knew that if I had gone right to college out of high school, it would have it would have turned out to be a big mistake for me. So I went into the working world um, right away and was lucky enough to land this wonderful position at Verizon. Um, 
right at the start of when broadband was sort of the new thing. Um, you know, now we're so many light years beyond that technology wise, but this was really at the cusp of that cutting into the market. So I was very excited to be there. Unfortunately, as we all lived through and watched play out, 9-11 um, happened and I was actually um, laid off from Verizon as sort of a, you know, pitfall of having to reduce staffing and all of that. So <clears throat> the morning of, I always tell the story too, the morning of 9-11, I was going into work to announce to everybody that I was expecting my first child and obviously, you know, thought I would be at Verizon forever, much like everybody else. Um, so that didn't that didn't pan out, and obviously I understood they had to take care of people who had been there for years and sort of try to put the pieces of life back together, which you know was very difficult for all of us at that time. So after that, trying to figure out, oh no, what am I going to do now? So not only do I have I not found my niche, I now have another human I have to worry about um, while finding this niche. So thankfully, um, my family was. They had a business, mechanical contracting business, uh, my brother owned, and um, a couple, few other family members. So obviously my brother was, you know, opening his arms, welcoming me to come and try to figure something out for the time being um, so that I would, you know, have some stability and health insurance and all that, which I'll be eternally grateful for. Um, so I stayed there for a while and just kept saying, that's fine. Thanks for the opportunity. But construction is not my thing. Absolutely not. I don't know anything about it. I saw a set of plans. It may as well have been in hieroglyphics, you know, the first couple months, but um, <laughs> trying to, you know, thankfully I had a good support system and a lot of resources and was thrown into some really crazy projects. Um, my first two projects were public bid um, housing units in South Boston and Academy Homes in Roxbury, which, you know, projects jumping into a project with zero experience is tough enough, but zero experience in a federally funded project with all of its complexities was, you know, a quick way to learn very quickly, <laughs> mostly trial by fire. But um, I found, you know, after getting through these few projects that I was excited and I was excited for the first time in my life because I was doing something, A, very unfamiliar to me, um, but something that I, I think I said, I think this is my niche. I think this is where I belong. The, you know, I always say now too, chaos is my calm. The crazier things can be, you know, in the moment and I see them through and, and I'm able to sort of check the boxes of, you know, hey, I did that. Um, the better it was for me then. So they really gave me, you know, kind of my career and where I am today or why I'm where I am today. So I stayed on with my family's business by about two years and then had an opportunity to apply for a job at a smaller general contractor, you know, 10 minutes from my house, which is always ideal, um, and moved over to started working with them. Um, and when I started there, I had my second son um, who was six weeks old at the time and who the owner of the company and the managers, they were very gracious enough, I wanted to bring him with me. So my middle son, Mason, got his start in construction at about six weeks old, <laughs> sat in his uh, little car seat next to me for a little while. Um, and then from there, um, I stayed on there for about seven years, started getting the um, itch to learn other you know, facets of the industry. Um, first was figuring out what can I do to sort of have an edge over 
you know, my competitors or people who may be getting better paying positions than myself, knowing I was coming to the table sort of as the wounded dog, um, not having a college degree, having very little um, real boots on the ground experience. I started getting um, interested in safety um, as far as like safety on construction job sites and OSHA and all of that. And even though I wasn't a scholar per se, I had the ability to memorize certain things. So code kind of came a little easier um, to me on that end and stayed on and got my construction supervisor's license through, through this company and started going to Middlesex Community College at night um, to start taking some AutoCAD classes, just trying to do whatever I could not to get you know, perfect or you know, proficient in any one area. I just needed to know a little bit about everything so that I made sense when I was discussing certain topics with people in the industry, which can be very overwhelming when, you know, sometimes you sit in a room full of, you know, PEs and PhDs and people who have done this for years and can pick out a newbie in a minute. Um, so I stayed there and started going to school, um, finished up at Middlesex with my uh, CAD certificate. Then from there, I uh, went on to Northeastern, the continuing education program for construction management, which I'm not even sure is even around anymore, which would be a shame. But I did that um, with two kids, two little kids at home for five years, nights and weekends. And because it was a certificate program at the time, it was I still didn't have my degree. Um, I had accumulated about 50 credits by this point, um, but still didn't have that piece of paper. So that I was kind of stuck in the back of my head, um, but finished up that program. And my main client while working at this company was Boston College. Um, I had done a lot of life science work in the past with other clients. And when the opportunity came to be the main project manager for a few of our chemistry labs at Boston College, I jumped at it. Um, I loved it. I loved the culture of being on campus, even though I was a contractor, you never felt you know, you never felt that way. You felt like you're always part of the project team and, you know, part of making the campus what it is today. So um, at the end of like my final project um, on the contractor side, one of the PMs for BC approached me and said, hey, you know, there's an opening here, which you know, is very rare because I think the median years on BC could be somewhere between 20, 25 years. If, you know, if somebody's right. there less than that, it's, it's kind of hard, um, you know, it's very unusual, I should say. So I did not think that I was ready. Um, I didn't think I was prepared. I didn't think I was qualified. Um, I still didn't have a degree. This was, this was a whole new ball game. This was, you know, this was the big time, but I threw caution to the wind and said, okay. I went in for an interview. Um, it's a very lengthy process. BC does take their time, um, which I, appreciate now obviously but i think between applying interviewing and actually starting was somewhere about three and a half months so about january till april and finally got the call um that uh that they've offered me the position and i was so excited and obviously equally nervous at the same time um, but gladly accepted and my start date was supposed to be april 16th um of 2013 which was also my older son's birthday but obviously the events of the marathon bombing the day before um, sort of 
you know, delayed that a little bit, but I had started sort of a week after that. Um, it was April 22nd. So actually three weeks from today, I'm coming up on nine years at Boston College. So the first day I started there as an employee, I also signed up um, to begin their bachelor's degree program. And it was not a guarantee, I still had to apply um, like every other undergrad, um, even though I was, you know, 35 year old undergrad, it didn't matter. <laughs> so I um, started classes and um, started working at BC on the annuals team um, with a phenomenal group of uh, men and women there. Uh, a few, honestly, some of the greatest managers or bosses, if you will, that I've had in my entire life that have definitely helped me move forward um, to sort of attain things I never thought were attainable for someone like me. And I always say, you know, someone like me or someone who looking at, you know, sort of where I grew up, you know, how kind of life through a few different curveballs, you know, I wasn't in my head, I wasn't meant to be successful um, in academically or job wise, just because I felt like, you know, I should have been maybe a little bit more grounded um, than I was at 35. But, you know, as, as the story goes, things happen for a reason. Um, and yes, I've been at BC now almost, yeah, almost nine years, and I am a proud graduate of the Boston College class of 2020. Uh, the only Congrats. class to not have Congrats. a, thank you, thank you very much, thank you. So the only class to not have a formal commencement when it was supposed to be, but the, the pandemic came and shook everything up, as, as you guys are all aware of. So um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities professionally and personally. Um, that this industry and that, you know, the jobs that I've had have afforded me and probably most of all of those aside from, you know, the professional accomplishments is, is personal accomplishments of, you know, the degree I say, you know, people say, why are you so worried? Why? You don't have it. You don't need it for construction. It had nothing to do with needing it or someone sort of telling me that I had to have it. It was, it was the one thing I felt, you know, now as a mother of two at that time, um, that I could control. It, it was only for me and nobody else. And I think that was, you know, that was where I really learned willpower and motivation and, you know, learning to be proud of myself and stuff that I had done. And, you know, I'm, I look at that piece of, uh, the piece of paper, I look at my diploma hanging in my office every day with a sense of gratitude that I, I really couldn't articulate into words. Yeah, I mean, and and as you tell that story, I I wanna I wanna just like mic drop and end it there. Just boom, look at that. Um, but as you tell that story, you you speak a lot uh, about kind of happenstance and luck. Um, but to tell you the truth, when when I hear that story and when I heard it the first time and and now again today, it's a story of like massive resilience and motivation and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. So, I mean, that's that's really the the top thing that I see you getting through all of these hardships and doing so well and and really pushing through. But is there anything else that you would associate to your success from the bottom to the top, um, or I guess any advice for people kind of grinding through it right now? Because what I hear from you is just an amazing work ethic, hard work, motivation. Um, you know, powering through hard times in life and, and getting through them, getting to the top. 
Um, so I don't think it's somewhere that you don't belong. I think it's absolutely somewhere that you do belong, by the way. Um, but is there anything <laughs> else that 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 you would kind of glean from, like looking back on your experience? Is it is it the pure? You come off as a, a very genuinely curious and knowledge curious person. Is that something you would attribute to it, or tell me a little about that? I, I can't say that I'm a, I was a knowledge curious person because knowledge and education and you know continuing education had frightened me for so long. Um, just because it wasn't really it wasn't in my thing. It wasn't you know it wasn't really a big thing in my family as far as you have to do this. I think so many kids you know especially now as a mother of an almost 20 year old, 17 and soon to be four, the pressures of you know, their generation now and having to get the degree and having to, you know, take all the crazy classes and, and you know, go to Guatemala for three months and volunteer. I mean, there's so much, but if you don't have passion behind it, if you don't have an, an internal desire and, and need to better yourself, you know, I don't know that you'll feel the same sort of, um, appreciation for the journeys and I, I know there's a million other people in women especially you know in this industry everybody's had you know a difficult journey everybody's gone their own path so I think my advice and the advice that I've given to you know some of the young women that I've spoken to who are interested in the industry is sort of threefold you know don't doubt your abilities you know you are the master of what your future will look like only you can sort of paint the picture of what you want your life to look like. You will hit speed bumps, absolutely, but they're speed bumps, they're not roadblocks. You can get over them. And especially, you know, advice I give to people who are sort of in between careers, you know, now I think a lot of people like we see with the great resignation and trying to figure out what's right, am I too old, am I too young? It's never too late. Um, and I wrote actually on my graduation cap, I was probably two out of 5,000 <laughs> in Conti Forum that only had a little goofy saying on their cap. Uh, mine was <laughs> someday um, with, you know, someday and I crossed out the equal sign to today. So it wasn't someday, it was today. That today can be whenever. I don't think that there is really an expiration date on self-improvement. So that would be that would be my advice, you know. Ignore the noise, follow your heart, and if it's not working for you, change it. Because if you don't change it, everything stays the same. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of one of the things you mentioned too that I just I wrote down, and it's an interesting trend that we see in in every conversation that I that I have on this podcast. Right, is the kind of chaos is your calm. Um, we I've found that people who work in the field, people who work in the office, um, they have an ability to organize chaos, an ability to to prosper from it. But in it, but then without it, it's not as uh, as fun, right? But I'm sure throughout your career, from from you know your your parents' contracting company all the way to where you are now 
you've developed different ways to deal with the chaos, to understand the chaos um, and in your everyday life, right? You just got back from Aruba. <laughs> There's probably a million things you could be doing right now instead of speaking to me, but um, is there kind of any learnings you've gotten where being calm in the chaos has gotten more dialed or you deal with it in a more process-based way instead of just kind of getting energy from it, right? If that makes any sense. I know. I mean, I think, you know, every situation or I'll say in this instance, every project is different, um, you know, and especially in the construction industry, like, you know, 90 days out of the year through the summer, um, especially in higher education is craziness. That is the tsunami of all storms. And I think you have to know when to turn it up and when to dial it back, because sometimes being too in the weeds, which is, you know, that's a, a in progress thing for me, I will say, I have to learn to, you know, when the right time is to turn it on and when it, the right time is to back away, let the professionals sort of do their thing and figure things out um, because it does ebb and flow. You know, all of the projects that I, I've done a lot of um, athletics projects for Boston College and, you know, those are, those are my favorite because they are, they can be really intense. Um, obviously, you know, my audience or my clients are the student athletes. And I look at them all as, you know, if this is a, an area or a building or a locker room or a space for them, I look at it as though those are my kids. I want to make sure, you know, everything is, is top notch. Everything is, you know, safe. Everything is going as it should. But sometimes I can't control that because I'm the owner. And even now, nine years later, I still struggle with that. And, you know, I had it come up in uh, one of my reviews, which I'm not ashamed to say is I had to learn to take the hard hat off, right? This was, yes, it's my sandbox, if you will, but it's the contractor's job. So if there's gonna be a failure or there's gonna be a miss or an error, I need to just know what my role is. Um, and it happens all the time, you know, obviously, trying to manage um, construction throughout the pandemic was, that was beyond a tsunami. We didn't know if materials were coming. We didn't know, you know, we had to go through a construction moratorium for a long time where only life safety or structural or real, um, you know, necessary projects could be completed in, in my portfolio at that time you know, yes, we needed locker rooms and we needed to renovate spaces, but it wasn't wasn't a necessity when you were looking sort of out beyond um, the skyline, seeing what was going on. So that was a little a little humbling, I will say that. Um, you know, you, you just have to be able to adjust based on the situations throwing being thrown at you, and it changes every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um... No, I mean, thinking about that and, and through my experience speaking to different general contractors all over the world, um, is the unique the unique pain points uh, that come with building, whether it's a university, a high school, um, you know, dorms, locker rooms. Um, talk, talk to me a little about the the unique um struggles that you have in the type of work that you're doing right students on campus student safety like you just you just cued on that right is like 
paramount. Right? Mm-hmm. We can't. There's no option, right, for error. So talk to me a little about, you know, what you what you typically see as some of the unique struggles, and then possibly for any listeners that are working on projects like that, really any insight you've gleaned from it or any advice to to get around those things that are unique to you guys. I think you know probably the main thing that anybody in sort of higher ed work, um, whether you're an OPM or a contractor or like, is really the timeframes. Sometimes um, the timeframes we have to give to contractors, even you know as the owner, I'll, I'll give them a little oof, a little wince. That's going to be tight. That's going to be really difficult um, to get all of this work done. You know, in, in the 12 weeks that we really have because we can't start any earlier than the day after commencement, which is typically the third Monday in May. And everything has to be done usually by the first week of August. You know, that could be anything from a carpet and paint project to like what we did um, last summer was the craziest of all. I think it did $14 million, three projects in nine weeks um, with a lot of unknowns as far as I didn't know when things were gonna come in. And having to sort of step back and, you know, put the onus on others because that's stuff I can't control. I can't go get, you know, the pipe fitters pipe for him. I I truly believe it wasn't available. (laughs) You know, we had to. So I think the uniqueness of working in higher ed, um, you know, or I should say the struggle of working in higher ed is is just where we have timeframes and we have deadlines and there is no going back. We can't tell um, students, they can't move into their dorm because, you know, we couldn't get the building inspector out because he's, you know, working on a backlog from the past 18 months and you just have to find a way. That's it. You just have to make it work. Um, and I think the key to success and the key to, you know, providing what the students, faculty and in campus community deserves is communication, being transparent, you know, not raising every red flag, but making sure that you're communicating along the way and you know risk mitigation comes into play here a lot with what can we do what's plan b okay plan b's out the window i need a c and a d you know in brainstorming um i think where i am a little unique maybe to some of maybe not my peers at bc but peers in general in the industry is my most important partnerships when i engage in a project in sort of how i kind of gauge how things are gonna go is my relationship with the project manager from the contractor and the superintendent. You know, I always try to develop sort of a relationship um, with them right out of the gate. You know, it's, I always say we get into a room sort of in the beginning and say, this is Vegas, right? Here are what, here are my non-negotiables. And usually number one is don't ever, you know, let me be surprised if it's on, if it's something happening on you know, my campus, my project. I am, you know, willing to get in the trenches with you, get my hands dirty, but I just need to be in the conversation so I can be part of the problem and not, I mean, so I can be part of the solution and not the problem, excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> no, and, and I think that's that's something that, of course, at TouchBlend, we talk about all the time in terms of transparency, collaboration. We We talk about you know, really developing a workflow that is team and collaborative, like team-based and collaborative. But just listening to you and, and other people, 
it, it takes one more step than that that we found and it, i believe it's really on that personal level and and you speak very passionately about this and I, i'd love to get to it in a minute about how you consider kind of the clients the the students on on campus and what you're developing for them and their experience and you're very passionate about that but it's also do you find that you know not necessarily being best friends but having a a personal kind of connection and drive on a project is just as important as you know the the process enablement and everything of that nature because you're kind of now you're really a team working towards a goal instead of you know a hodgepodge of people working towards a team goal kind of thing absolutely and you know there is that you know like i said when we have our first sort of initial kickoff i i do try to build a rapport with the notion that you know i'm still the owner i'm still obligated to you know report on things and you know I'm not going to be your best friend, kind of like, you know, we tell our children, I love you, but I'm not your friend. So here's what's going to happen. You know, I have, I have certain things that I have to take care of. And, you know, I will be as accommodating and transparent and, you know, communicate as best as I can from the owner's perspective, you know, but you, ha it has to come back in return. Um, and, you know, I think that usually kind of breaks the ice in the middle, if you will. And I also say, I've been where you are. I've been the PM having to go to the owner, you know, on the contractor side and say, that date isn't gonna happen. This material is not showing up, you know, and I know it. So I hope it seems to have worked for me where I'm not just coming and saying, you know, oh, I'm the owner, I know how to read drawings. This job should go fine. I've been there. You know, as many of my colleagues at BC have, and I think that helps. You know, I think when you can sort of, you know, have this similar experience as the people across the table from you, and they know that you you kind of get it, it it helps. But they have to respect yep. the fact that you know, I am their client, and my client is you know, fifteen thousand students, faculty, and and higher up. So. We all have a job to do. No, absolutely. And and to, to switch gears a little bit and and go kind of towards how, how you speak about the community at, at Boston College and, and and why you're there and what you're doing for them. You know, I, I think you just referred to the students as your clients and, and the equivalent of, you know, your son and their safety and everything of that nature. And I'm I'm glad to hear also that your son finally listened to his mother and got his butt to BC or intends to at least. But is there a sense of, I guess there's a, there's an undertone with large universities that are very well known, you know, that have a, have a lineage and have a culture um, like, like Boston college in the sense that do you feel like you're really like building history? Do you feel like, there's a, a higher expectation from you in the sense that you're really providing for an experience that these students are gonna have for four or five years, three, four or five years of their life. And do you hold yourself kind of responsible for that or is that just more kind of a professional driver on your end and that that feeling of camaraderie and, and legacy and building, building something that will be there for a long time? 
talk to me about kind of the feeling around how people see your job and the things that are built in in the on the college campus. Sure, um, I, I think we had talked in the first time. You know, the camaraderie, the the legacy, if you will, and the culture is palpable on that campus. There is, you know, families, so many um, different legacy lines there, and you run into you know, someone who's related to someone who's a proud double eagle or, you know, it's it's phenomenal. And, you know, the Jesuits are a great group, um, you know, who are really all about eagle for others. And that goes from, you know, eagles, whether you are just an employee, if you are, you know, a graduate alumni or whatever, it, it is, you know, a class amongst itself where you become part of the community and part of the culture almost subconsciously. You don't, you're not really aware of kind of getting engulfed into this, you know, sense of belonging and sense of wanting to, you know, be of service to others. And, you know, I say it and it probably sounds a little cliche, but being in that environment, you know, both as an employee and, you know, as a student, it's, made me a better person it's made me you know want to do more um outside of sort of my job wanting to be a part of the community and and yes like you said i you know part of life's trials and errors i my son chose not to go to um bc for the first year um you know as many it's very difficult school to get into and he, he didn't get into the day school which you know i think we're seeing a you know, not not a bad thing. He had to go off for a year somewhere else and figure stuff out. And, you know, now that he's sort of getting his feet wet, he's starting to see it as well. And, you know, he's a pretty shy kid, but he also said, like, you can feel it. You just see people are happy. And, you know, he started there when kids really started coming back to campus and being able to take part in the culture and all of, you know, the groups and, and seeing the dorm life and all of that is, you know, it's it's a pretty special place. And the reason, you know, a main reason why alumni come back and thankfully, you know, give back to the school and, and allow us to build these phenomenal first class spaces um, for these students. And, you know, even as an older student sitting in class and listening to some of them, I, I rarely, if ever, told them that I worked there. But, you know, they would always sort of talk about things going on in campus. And sure, some of the stuff we do, you know, is very inconvenient. We're going to shut down your, you know, uh, the calf for a few days or we have to block a road. But then when by the time we get sort of to the end of the semester and these spaces are opening, these buildings are opening, these new athletic facilities are being revealed, the sense of gratitude that you hear and see um, is really the driver. That's what keeps you going. And, and yes, on a personal level, I do understand that, you know, this is, you know, a pretty expensive institution, much like a lot of the other larger private institutions. So I do look. You guys aren't projects. standing alone on that one. I, promise. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to frame the way to say that, but I don't think I have to. It's, yeah, no, no, <laughs> it's, no. Pretty, it's pretty well known, but you know, I understand, and as a parent, I would want the facilities that my children are attending at a, you know, pretty substantial cost 
to be first class, to be up to par, to be safe, to give them everything and anything they need to be successful, because that's the key, not only just academically, professionally and personally. You know, you're really, this space becomes their home. Um, and I, you know, in what I do, I do feel a sense of responsibility to make sure that, you know, they, that they're getting what they need in the spaces within the, you know, within the bounds of my ability to do that. And, and I see the contractors, the same thing. There's a lot of pride, regardless of, you know, the size of the project. The contractors that we're, you know, we have on campus, you know, there's always a sense of pride when they walk away from these projects. It is, it's a beautiful campus. It's continually changing and um, upgrading facilities and it's a tough place to build. I mean, you know, part of it's built on top of an old reservoir. The other half is built into, you know, hillsides with ledge and it's, it's not the easiest sort of footprint, I will say, but if you look around and even just over my, you know, the last nine years I've been there, how it's changed for the good, you know, but the look has stayed consistent and I, you know, the Gothic architecture is kind of, you know, that's the big draw. And when I walk around and hear the kids talking or see them on groups or tours for admissions, that's what they love. Um, I think it's, it feels like a sense of home and, um, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful to be part of, part of it. Yeah, it's, it's cozy, let's say. And I it actually is. had, I had that written down um, as something I, I really wanted to touch on is you're you're kind of in your own ecosystem, right? Where it, it has a feeling, it has a lineage, it has a type of architecture, you're clearly improving it with more modern look and feel. I'm sure there's a ton of opinion around that when these projects get approved and and there's alumni talking about it and how it's gonna ruin this, but what are some of the unique things just either kind of mechanically that you notice? Like we've all been to college campuses. They're like little cities, right? They have their food, water, like sleeping, even hotels off campus. It's this little environment um, in the sense where you could kind of, I would consider you working on a your own town, not even small town at this point, your own town within Boston, right? Um, are there are there specific instances where there's either kind of campus politics that that come in the way, and I'm not asking you to to blast anybody, but um, different different look and feel how you how you go about that, um, how you come to those conclusions, and then ultimately, like you said, with students, oh, it's super noisy because they're doing this, you know, the the town quote unquote morale, the campus morale is directly kind of influenced by you because you are creating the environment that will either provoke productivity and thought and happiness and fun or the exact opposite. So are there any things that, that you've seen that are unique to campus work and especially for you being on the client side of things where you really have to think five, 10, 15 years down the road about how this entire kind of animal is gonna progress. So thankfully, I don't have to sort of be in the room for the, <laughs> the tougher political <laughs> conversations, if you will. 
um, fortunately a little buffered a few layers away, but still, you know, obviously every institution, every company, doesn't matter how big or how small, you know, has a hierarchy or, you know, a political aspect to it that has to be taken into consideration. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think we are unlike a lot of other institutions in that respect. Um, I think where we are unique is, you know, obviously the look and feel of our school is pretty consistent. Um, and as someone who's gone on a number of college tours, you know, I can see some subtle differences, obviously in the way our campus is sort of laid out as opposed to, you know, Yukon. Yukon is a city amongst itself. I mean, it is a self-sufficient town, soup to nuts, you know, but they're out in deep in Connecticut. We're in sort of the heart of Boston, bordering between two towns. Um, and I think, you know, the reason why we remain consistent with the look and feel of our buildings from you know the stone on the outside to you know to the grass and the flowers and the colors is because i i believe just as being a student myself too is i think that sense of that consistency across the campus um and that look and feel is comforting you know especially i think to students you know we have a huge international population and i think when they come here you know, it gives a sense of sort of comfort, consistency, and, you know, a grounding um, that, you know, I think some of the students would probably like to see, you know, maybe some of the fancier sort of technology or, you know, some buildings that maybe larger public institutions are doing, but that's, you know, that's not BC's sort of thing. You know, we like, the look of the school, the feel of the school, and making sure that any of the spaces or buildings that are going up stay true to the long history of the school itself. And, you know, I think they've done a really good job. I mean, the latest building to open up, 245 Beacon, which is, you know, our new engineering facility is phenomenal. And having a chance to sort of help my coworker who turned it over at the end kind of walking through the building and seeing you know the school listening and hearing the kids shouldn't call them kids or adults but hearing hearing their sort of request for you know meshing sort of the new you know new technology new maker spaces and new building um, elements but still preserving what is known you know the the look and feel of the campus into one um and it's it's remarkable yep. building and it is amazing you know day one walking through after the doors open every inch of that building is filled with students and you know we're, uh, there's been a big push on student formation spaces you know trying to provide spaces not only for learning but also spaces for reflection and spaces for those who um you know are not catholic or you know whatever diverse religious backgrounds that are there there is a space for everyone and that has remained consistent that it's you know we're building spaces for everyone and i think you know as the younger generations are coming in and um they're they're seeing that and they're appreciating it and like i said when i turn over a space and go by in a couple weeks and see every inch of it 
um, occupied and being used, there's no greater feeling. You know, there's no um, there's no better result after <laughs> the the storm has passed, if you will, than seeing them used and you know, and they respect the spaces, they take care of them, and I think they're just grateful that the school continues to reinvest um, in trying to provide spaces and facilities that are top-notch. Yeah, and and I mean, you're you're right in that, you know, every, every institution, every college has somewhat of a persona, and that's why people apply and they want to go there, and, and that architectural feel and the feeling of the school is so important to kind of not generating a brand, but a, a personality and a feeling, and that that's why certain students fall in love with it and some don't. Um, I can speak from from my experience. I I graduated with a degree in graphic design and advertisement. Our classes were in the newest building on campus, this massive art center, and it was beautiful, but it was completely different than every other building on campus. And in my opinion, it, it kind of took something away from me because I went to this campus for a specific reason. And I spent 98% of my life in something that didn't look and feel. So I, I understand sure. that there is such like a line to toe, right? Where improvement and technology and all of that, but without changing someone's experience from too much away from what they expect, right? Is, is probably Absolutely. very challenging. Sure. Um, because it was a bummer for me to tell you the truth. And, and it was, Something where it's like, oh, all the all the med students get to go in the cool, cool old like campus buildings, and I'm over here in this this building that looks like an iPad, right? Um, but but I think I think that that's super important. Um, we're we're coming up on time here, but I know we spoke a little about it last time you and I got to meet, and I just wanted to touch on it again, and and just in terms of individualized spaces that you've worked on. I love the idea that you were kind of had the chance to be like undercover boss and like listen in <laughs> on, on the reactions of students. But out of the projects that you've worked on, um, out of the spaces that you've worked on and, and kind of blood, sweat and tears into, what was one of your, your favorite and your favorite in terms of the community and the student reaction on campus? Boy, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I, have to I know say, half I'll, of Touch Plan would have to say, like, you know, locker rooms for the hockey teams <laughs> because they're all BC crazies. But um, for you, what, what do you think it was? So I guess I, I'll do it twofold. So as far as um, probably my largest and sort of most complex and crazy project um, was renovations to um, the admissions office um, in taking over the space in Devlin Hall. And it was it was a big to do over there. We were, you know, the building where we were building, you know, 200 seat auditorium used to be two floors of a museum. And, you know, we had to take the floor out and do um, all the mechanicals underneath the seating and very, you know, very difficult sequencing and actually watching the contractors was like watching somebody, um, you know, at a symphony, orchestrating and conducting in every part and piece. And it was, it was a lot of structural work and, you know, some nerve wracking moments. Um, 
as far as when things were gonna come in and having their, uh, again, another deadline. Admissions, you know, with groups and tours, that's a deadline not to be missed. We had to make sure we could accommodate all of these families who are coming to decide if this is the place where they want their children to go. Um, so that was a big one for me. And a lot of, I, I got to touch on a lot of different aspects of construction that I not necessarily didn't really have a chance to in the past, um, you know, civil and structural. So for me, that was exciting because I was getting a little bit more knowledge um, as this project went along and opening the doors to that and seeing that building again, being very new and beautiful, but still maintaining, you know, the, the architecture and the look and the feel of the school um, and actually getting to sit as a prospective, you know, student's parent in that room and, you know, watching how it all came about was, was a phenomenal feeling. Um, on the other side, yes, I have, you know, my sweet spot or my, my, where they have a special place in my heart or my athletics um, projects. And uh, as you mentioned, the men's and women's hockey room uh, hockey locker room renovations, uh, probably my favorite as far as the reveals. So um, I was actually pregnant with my third son um, during this time, and I was due, um, you know, early May and trying to figure out time-wise, like, I absolutely, we have to make it work. I want to make sure that I'm there when they turn this thing over. And, you know, the schedule, thankfully, when everything played out, worked out. Um, and that was a difficult one it's just another one you know a lot of different vendors and two big spaces being you know done at the same time with you know two of the most respected you know coaches of all time um obviously you know uh coach york is famous you know beyond all recognition the most you know winning college coach ever in the nicest human on earth. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful guy, grateful. Um, and being able to kind of be behind the scenes, absolutely, and watch the players come into the locker rooms individually, um, you know, through our network that they recorded it on was awesome. It was just so cool because they don't know what just took place over the last you know, 120 days of trying to get this over, but it didn't matter. Um, and, it, and honestly, any, you know, stress or craziness that we dealt with was non-existent watching the looks on their faces and just seeing how grateful they were and how, you know, inspired they were to start their seasons and in these new spaces and knowing that you know they're they're well supported and loved on campus and that's why you know the donors and the school invest in it and those were uh those were pretty crazy but those will be um very special to me for a long time as will um the latest renovation of the football locker room for uh, coach halfley and his kids that was another barn burner if you will uh crazy time frame that we did this summer and seeing those players come back in and that locker room is pretty state-of-the-art. I mean, the lockers are phenomenal, LED, um, you know, beautiful phenolic um, composition, you know, antimicrobial, like literally the best of the best and well-deserved. Um, we've been blessed with Coach Halfley 
who again, another salt of the earth uh, person who is a true eagle for others and has inspired these kids in his short time here on campus and has changed, you know, the whole feel um, of football. And uh, I was so blessed and proud to be part of, you know, helping them make their vision come to fruition. So we're, uh, we're very lucky with, you know, the staff, especially on the athletics side, um, with who we have at campus and who we have coming to campus and they're grateful. And, you know, Coach Halfley this summer when we were working these crazy hours, you know, he and his family would drop off donuts to the contractors and there was an ice cream truck and they invited them to come out because he was just so grateful. And that's a theme, you know, everywhere on campus. And I always say, you know, gratitude determines attitude. And, you know, I don't know how obvious it was maybe to Coach Halfley and his staff, but that really drove every, you know, every man and woman on that job site to get that job done. And it was, you know, all for one, all hands on deck. And I think, you know, that can make the difference in a, in a lot of these projects is a little bit of gratitude goes a long way. And it's, it's very apparent here. Well, if that isn't someone who's passionate about their job, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what is. Um, it's been <laughs> it's been amazing having you here, um, being able to talk to you. Um, I hope we get to kind of interact. Maybe maybe even us uh, Boston employees will stop by campus and stroll around a little bit, see what see what Absolutely. you've done. I know it's been a long time since I've even been over there. Oddly enough, COVID and working from home and thinking you have all this freedom because you work from home, you seem to not leave even more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yes. but congratulations, you know, from from me for for your your career and your journey um, through thick and thin and, and three kids. Um, it's really something to be proud of, and and I see it as as an amazing story that that I definitely wanted to share with all of our listeners, but. Um, I guess we can can say goodbye for now, um, and we'll we'll talk soon. Thank, thank you, you, thank so you so much, much. Again. I appreciate. It. Take care. All right.